Good morning, everyone. I was, uh, I was reading this week about a little girl who came bouncing out of Sunday school. Big smile on her face, and her mum said to her, Well, how did it go today? And she replied, It was great. It was absolutely brilliant. We learned how to heal the sick and cast out deacons. <laughs> and this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at that issue, although uh, rather than look at casting them out, rather voting them in, you will have uh, heard Tim mention that we as a church, do actually need to appoint four new deacons in November. And therefore it is really important that we begin to to think about this leadership role within the local church so that, as Tim said, we we can begin to intentionally pray into it. And I really would encourage everyone to sort of consider their response to this issue and to this process. Now, deacon is not a particularly familiar word, uh, certainly outside of a church or Christian context, but what it effectively means is this, one who serves. It's a servant. And I guess for most of us, that's what immediately comes to mind whenever we hear that word. It's our initial understanding, and in many ways, it's the best understanding of that word. But before we look at the role and why it is important, and what are some of the characteristics of people who might serve in that role, I think it is crucial to make the point that in one sense, every single Christian sitting here this morning, every disciple, every follower of Jesus Christ, should be a deacon. And therefore, in many ways, if if you sort of think, well, the whole idea of being a deacon or whatever, it, it just doesn't, it's not relevant to me. I do want to say that in many ways, every Christian should be a deacon because service is right at the heart of the New Testament idea of Christian community. That if Christian community is going to function effectively, if it's going to be counter-cultural, if it is going to model something that is alternative, if it is going to provide something attractive, something refreshingly different, then the need for any community's members to serve one another is absolutely vital. And Jesus consistently emphasized that as, as he spoke to his disciples and as he provided teaching along these lines and also set an example for us there is that famous occasion in Mark's gospel whenever the disciples who who should have known better were arguing about well look who's the greatest and Jesus sat them down and very sensitively but directly said this listen if anyone wants to be first he must be the very last and the servant of all. And it's from that Greek word for servant, Anarchus, that we get the word deacon. And a little later on in Mark's gospel, the disciples were at it again. Same issue. They were, it would seem they were slow learners. They were jockeying for position. And two in particular were wanting prominent places. James and John were saying, listen, Jesus, could one of us sit in your left and one of us sit in your right whenever you get to glory? And Jesus had to step in because the disciples were irked by this. The rest of the disciples, they were livid with James and John. And so Jesus stepped in and he quelled the tension. And here's what he said. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Same word again. And whoever wants to be first must be 
slave of all. And rather shockingly, Jesus doesn't just stop talking at that point. He's got more to say, more insight to provide, because he then takes this idea of a servant and he applies it to himself. And he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And again, it's from those Greek words for served and serve that we get the word deacon. And therefore, in a, in a very real way, Jesus, as he so often does when he says this, offers the blueprint of what it means for every Christian to live like this. To live to serve others. That every single Christian must live with this tendency to lay down the natural desire to be self-centered. To actually live beyond ourselves, to be others focused, to kick against this it's all about me mentality. And that mindset, that me first mindset, is such a part of our individualistic culture that we find ourselves in today. This idea that life really is, life does revolve around me and my needs. And Jesus said, not only said it, but he modeled this idea that no, you've got to live beyond yourself. As spirit-filled Christians, you've got to model something different. One writer puts it like this, we love, serve, and care for others because that is the normal behavior of people who are filled with God's spirit. We are Christians. Christ was the ultimate servant. We can't help but serve because the spirit of the servant has filled our hearts. And when we serve, and this is a, a very provocative statement, when we serve, we are just being who we naturally are. And so as we revisit this need to officially appoint four new deacons here at Windsor, let's not forget that before we think in terms of a specific role, a specific leadership role within the local church, that there is this definite sense that every Christian, every believer here this morning should be a deacon, should be a servant, should be one who serves. And whenever a group of believers grasp this, and whenever we live as servants of one another, and that is our intention, and that is who we naturally are. Whenever we live like that, then there is this dynamic Christian community created that is such an effective witness to the watching world. But let's now turn to the actual specific role or office of a deacon. And in our Essential Word series, uh, we're going to turn to a text that's very familiar, one you'd expect us to turn to, one we must turn to, and it's First Timothy chapter 3. It's page 1192 in the Bibles in the pews. Now in the first seven verses, just as you're looking this up, in the first seven verses, Paul deals with a different role within the local church. He, he looks at the criteria for overseers or elders, but that's for another time. In verse 8, then, the focus shifts to deacons. But before we check out their profile, and that there is a profile here, uh, and we let's actually take a step back and explore, well, where did this role begin to take shape? Where were deacons introduced? When were they, if you like, invented? And that takes us back to Acts chapter 6. So if you want to flick back to page 1098 in the Pew Bibles, it's there that you discover what appears to be the beginning 
of this position and this role. And although there is, and many, many of you I know know this, but there is no actual reference to the role or the office of deacon in the entire book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 6, I do think at this point in the big story, we find a prototype of the eventual office of deacon in the early church. And just to give you a wee bit of background, there was this brewing situation in Jerusalem, in the local church, regarding the daily distribution of food. Not have, don't have time to get into the details, but what this was doing was this was threatening to create division and cause tension. And also, and maybe more importantly, there was a real risk that the apostles, that was the twelve, were going to be distracted and deflected from what they believed was their primary focus. And what did they believe was their primary focus? Prayer. And not just prayer, but the ministry of the word. And so the suggestion was made that this local church would choose seven men of good reputation who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And that they would then carry out this specific duty and ministry of service. And as I've said, these men were not specifically called deacons. But the stage is set for the development of this role as the New Testament unfolds. And in that sense, the prototype deacon has been introduced. But just a few comments on that before we go to 1 Timothy 3. The first is that as a church grows, or as the church grew, there clearly needed to be structures. That makes sense. There needed to be also leadership structures put in place to facilitate and enhance the growth of a church. That was the case then, and in many ways that's still the case today. It facilitates growth. Secondly, what these seven were doing may be seen as, well, very practical, very hands-on. They were, they were giving out food. Maybe some would think, well, that's not as spiritual as praying or as ministering the word of God. And yet, the type of person identified makes it really clear that the character and the spiritual health of this person mattered. They were to have a good reputation. They were to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Their integrity and their heart condition was important. And that value still stands, as we're about to see. Thirdly, the eternal impact of this decision is significant. Because it says in Acts chapter 6 that after these seven were set aside, the word of God did spread. And as these prototype deacons carried out their tasks, the apostles were released to carry out what they believed was important to them. Prayer, the ministry of the word. And it says here that the number of disciples grew Rapidly. And you know, whenever people work together within a church community, whenever different people perform different tasks and rules, then there is always far more potential for growth and development. But let's fast forward to 1 Timothy 3, where this title actually appears, this rule of deacon is more explicit. We also find this in Paul's letters, for example, to the Philippians, where right at the outset he addresses it to God's people at Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. There's the word appearing. But the issue for us now as we think about our need for four new deacons is what kind of person are we looking for? What kind of person are we actually looking at? Okay, they need to have a servant heart. 
There needs to be a heart for the local church and a desire to serve within the community of a local church. We've established that. But what else? Well, just as a a momentary aside, I came across this uh, brilliant comment from Milton Jones uh, a couple of weeks ago, who's a comedian, regular panellist in BBC Two's Mock the Week, and a committed Christian. And he said this, Sometimes people think of church as being like a giant helicopter. They do want to get too close in case they get sucked into the rotors. And in, in terms of... What else is required of a deacon? Okay, let's be honest. There does need to be a sympathy for rotas. Okay, let's just get that out there. You need to know that. Okay, but back to First Timothy chapter three, because Paul sets out some very specific and actually quite heart-searching qualities. And as you look at First Timothy chapter three, we do need to take this very seriously. I believe, and, and think it through and pray it through during these next five to six weeks. Now, there is a daunting and an almost intimidating aspect of this. Because as you, and there's a danger that as you engage with what we're about to read, you immediately count yourself out. In fact, most of us probably will. Very few of us would say, yeah, we absolutely tick all of these boxes all of the time. But rather than beat ourselves up, Or rule ourselves out. Let's recognise that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about who we are by the grace of God in community. Here is how we should live, yes. Here's how we can live with God's help. And the truth is that although many of us will not find conclusive evidence of much of this in our lives, I would sense, there are others around us who, as they observe us, will recognize these qualities within us. And what I would love you to do is listen to those around you before you immediately just rule yourself out. It should be our intention to be these kind of people, this kind of person. But let's rely on God in our pursuit of this. And let's listen to others along the way. Well, to start with, Paul homes in on character. And he says a deacon should be someone of good character. And he he clarifies what that looks like by highlighting four core features. They should be worthy of respect. In other words, their behavior and their conduct matters. And secondly, they should be sincere. And really what the original meaning as I understand it here is they should not be double-tongued. In other words, not only does their behaviour and conduct matter, but their speech matters. How they talk matters. They should not indulge in much wine. In other words, self-control matters, specifically regarding their consumption of alcohol. And they should not pursue dishonest gain. In other words, their attitude to money matters. Now, I know as I say, that those are incredibly heart-searching qualities. That our conduct and our behaviour is something that people respect. That as people listen to us speak, that again they say, yeah, that, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to follow. That's the kind of person I want to put in a leadership role. They are self-controlled. That segment 
the ninth segment of the fruit of the Spirit. And they should be honest people. In other words, Paul says, listen, it's the who you are when no one is looking that's vitally important. Because that's, that's a good definition of character. Who you are when no one else is around. But the next area he draws attention to is their belief system. Their, their core conviction. Some people might want to refer to this as their doctrinal commitment. He says they've got to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Or, as a number of different translations say, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And as we know, those mysteries of the faith, those deep truths, are actually primarily revealed for us in Scripture. And therefore, a deacon must be someone with a passionate commitment to God's word. There's got to be someone who loves Scripture. There's got to be a tangible desire, not just to believe it, but to allow it to shape their lives as they engage with it and then allow it to influence their choices, their hopes, their perspectives, their understandings, their attitudes and actions. So what a deacon believes matters because what they believe will then impact or should impact how they live And what they believe has absolutely got to be earthed in God's word. And then lived out in daily life. And that's what effectively it means to do this with a clear conscience. It means that not just what you believe, but how you then live it out. There's a connection between the two. There's a clear conscience in this. It's all about head, heart, hands. Yes, you've got to know it. But then you've got to embrace it, and then you've got to live it. Deacons must hold on to God's revelation with a strong and sincere conviction. The next thing Paul says is they've got to be tested. And if there's nothing against them, then they can serve in this role. And there is a sense, and this this is quite a scary dimension to this, Although it does emphasize just how important we we must take it. But there is a sense that a prospective deacon must be willing to undergo some level of scrutiny. There's got to be accountability. A kind of, if you like, probationary period before appointment. Whenever a church can assess the character, the belief and the gifting of any potential candidates. And here at Windsor, one of the ways we try to address this requirement, one of the ways, is by recommending that anyone to be considered as a deacon must have been in membership for a minimum of two years. Now, that's not us trying to impose rules or create obstacles or restrict the process. That is simply one way of us as a local church giving the congregation and the existing leadership the opportunity and the chance to discern the suitability of someone. To observe their input in the church life. Their character. Their expression of beliefs over a period of time. And Paul says, yeah, they do, they have to be tested. And as I say, I recognise and realise that this that is a scary thing. But remember, it's by the grace of God. That's who we are. It's by the grace of God. And then we come to verse 11. And in certain translations it reads, In the same way their wives, i.e., The deacon's wives, whereas in other translations like the one I tend to use, it reads, in the same way, the women, meaning the women who are deacons. Now, I'm not going to get into this in any detail, 
But you need to know that we as a church, our understanding of verse 11 and other references leads us to believe that women can serve as deacons. And therefore this role at Windsor is not restricted to men only. And the final area that Paul draws attention to is family life. He says you've got to be faithful. And there's got to be stability in your marriage. Got to be faithful. In your parenting, it's got to be stable. Now that doesn't mean you've got to be married and you've got to have children to be a deacon. Please hear me on that. But if you are married and if you do have kids, then your reflection of the relevant biblical teaching regarding how you are to conduct yourself in a married relationship and as a parent is crucially important. I need to finish. In any church, leadership is important. And Paul here has said, listen, character. Look at their character. Look at what they believe. Test them. And observe them within their families. That's the criteria Paul lays down. And as I say, leadership is important, but servant leadership is vital. Servant leadership is about a relationship with God that so shapes who we are that people see on us a person of character, a person of commitment whose influence they choose to follow. And as we enter this period of careful reflection and prayerful consideration, as I've said and as Tim has said, we really do urge you to take this seriously, particularly those who are in membership here. Although if you are a committed friend of Windsor, or a frequent visitor, then can I invite you and I would love you to pray with us and for us in this. But members, please do consider who you might approach, given all that we've talked about this morning. And if you are approached, then please don't be too quick to give an answer. In fact, I would probably urge you not to give an answer immediately. Go away and pray. Take this to God. Talk to other people, if appropriate, before you decide to stand or not. Now, I know some people think you've said nothing about what is specifically asked of a deacon at Windsor Baptist Church. And as I thought about that, there's one level at which that's irrelevant. Because the real issue is a willingness to serve and to be a servant to all and therefore whatever is involved will be absolutely fine even being on lots of rotas and so I hope God will help us as we seek to identify and appoint more servant leaders and as a result referring back to Acts chapter 6 as a result here's our ultimate desire that God's word spreads in order that more people choose to follow Jesus and so if, if you believe in this you believe in God's word and its power and its impact and if you have a desire to see more people become disciples of Jesus Christ then please do consider your role in this whole process.